Well, good morning again. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 20. We're going to unpack that passage that Pastor Chad read for us. But today is Pentecost Sunday, and we don't really have a greeting for that, but I say Merry Pentecost to you. And, uh, and uh, I don't know, maybe we need to develop something uh, about that. Um, maybe we need to greet one another here on Pentecost. I, I ask that you wear red today, and, and some of you got that memo, and um, some of you just don't have anything red to wear, and so um, that's okay. Uh, a lot of Cardinal fans missed their chance today to wear their Cardinal gear uh, to church, and um, I, I hate that you guys missed that. Um, but it is this day in which we celebrate the giving of the Holy Spirit. And this is part of the story of God. And, and maybe the reason we don't have a greeting for like Mary Pentecost is because we've sort of relegated the Holy Spirit to uh, not a prominent role in the story of God. And we need to do better than that. In fact, the full story of God is that Jesus would come. He would live a perfect life. He would die a death he didn't deserve. He would be raised to new life. And this atones for our sins, and then he ascends to the Father, and then God gives the Holy Spirit, and the story of God continues through the church even to this day. I mean, that is the full story of God revealed in Scripture, and, and, and we need to celebrate that moment, that giving of the Holy Spirit, just like we celebrate Christmas and, and Easter. And let me just remind you of what that moment was like. We read this in the book of Acts. This is the, the fullest picture of what the day of Pentecost was like. Acts chapter 2, Jesus ascends to the Father and he says, go to the city and pray and wait for the gift that my Father is going to give to you. And so they go and they gather and there's about 120 believers. They're gathered together in, in the upper room and they begin to pray. And Luke tells us that suddenly a sound like a rushing wind filled the, filled the place and what appeared to be tongues of fire descended upon them and rested upon each one of them. And that was the moment that the Spirit was given. And these believers, remember what Chad read in John chapter 20, they were locked away for fear of the Jewish leaders. The same people that crucified Jesus might have a mind to crucify them, and so they were afraid. But then the Holy Spirit comes, and this group of people are transformed. They depart the upper room, and they begin to declare the praises of God. And this miracle of speaking in other languages happens. And Luke tells us that there's people gathered from every known area of the Roman Empire. Every city, every country that you could think about, Luke names them there in Acts chapter 2. And so there's lots of different languages present. But when these disciples go out, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, they begin to proclaim the gospel in languages they had not studied. And it was a miracle of hearing. The people gathered there heard the gospel in their own language. And Peter you know the guy that denied Jesus three times? You know the guy that wouldn't stand up to a little slave girl that said he was a follower of Jesus? Suddenly he's standing up in the middle of Jerusalem. He's proclaiming the good news of Jesus. He's unpacking how Jesus was the Messiah that's now raised victoriously. And 3,000 people are added to the church that day. In one day, 3,000 people put their hope and their trust in Jesus, and the church was born. And we've been continuing to proclaim this good news ever since. There's a, there's a, one of my favorite preachers is a guy named Tom Long. He tells a story about one of his early churches, and he had a membership class planned, and he walked into the room hoping to see this, this room full of people who were ready to take his church membership class. And he walks into this room, and there are two little girls. 
about eight or nine years old. Their parents made him go, and they are there to take the church membership class. And so Pastor Long just begins to go through the class, and he starts with, where else would you start? With Pentecost. And he begins to explain to these girls everything that I just described to you, that one day the church was gathered and the Holy Spirit came and there was a sound like a mighty rushing wind and fire rested upon each of them. And one of those little girls, her eyes just big as saucers, just taking it all in, can't believe what Pastor Long is is telling her. And he tells the story of Pentecost and this little girl looks at him and she says, Pastor, my family must have been absent that Sunday. And I love that story. I love that story because this girl actually believed that that might happen on a Sunday. She actually believed that the people of God might gather, the people of God might pray, the people of God might welcome God's spirit into their midst, and he might actually show up, and he might actually transform their life, and he might actually fill them with power to do things that were beyond their human capacity. She actually expected that it might happen. And that is the point of today. That's why we tell the story of Pentecost. We tell the story of Pentecost in expectation that it will happen again and again and again. And friends, if you don't believe Pentecost can happen in the church today, there are better things that you could be doing right now. Friend, watching online, there are a hundred things you could be watching online right now. But if you don't believe that Pentecost could happen today, that we could be filled with power, that we could be filled with strength, that, we, that our lives could be transformed, if you don't think that could happen, please go watch something else. This is going to be a waste of your time. Because today, this gathering of friends for worship is a gathering of people who should gather in this place with the expectation that the Holy Spirit wants to fill us with power. We should gather in this place with the expectation that Pentecost can happen again. It should be the expectation, not the exception. It should be the expectation and not the exception. Pains me to share this next illustration with you, but I think it's the right illustration. 2016, the Chicago Cubs won the World Series. It was amazing. It was amazing. We won the World Series in 2016. 108 years. 108 years between our world championships. 1908 and 2016. So many Cub fans lived and died and never saw what I have seen. Like Simeon in the book of Acts, servant, uh, Lord, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For I have seen the glory of the Lord. Uh, that, is, that, was, that was much of what I felt on November 3rd, 2016. You may now dismiss your servant in peace. And it was, it, we were just shocked because we had this culture, this history of never making the playoffs and always losing. And we were overjoyed. And you know, I, I was talking to one of my cardinal f- friends the other day. And, uh, you know... I was just talking about how excited, you know, we, we were to, to be competitive uh, again this year. And, um, you know, it looks like, looks like it's going to be a, a pretty nice race there in the NL Central. But, you know, I'm thinking back to 2013. The Cardinals were in the World Series, but they didn't win the World Series. And I happened to be in St. Louis, and I bought a shirt for my friend. It said National League Champs. 
do you know how excited the Cubs would be to be the National League champs? Like, we would be ecstatic to be the National League champs. But I brought this shirt to my friend. I said, hey, I found this shirt. Uh, I thought you might like it. Um, you know, I know you didn't win the World Series, but at least here's a, here's a, here's a shirt that, that commemorates you winning the, the National League pennant. He's like, yeah, thanks, but probably won't wear it. Probably won't wear it. If it doesn't say World Series champ on it, I don't want to wear it. Because we're, we're Cardinal fans, and we expect to win the World Series every year. We expect to win the World Series every year. And I hate to say it, friends. Be Cardinal fans. In terms of your walk with Jesus, oh, I can't even, it's so hard to say this, but like, expect great things. Expect to be on top. Expect to, to win. Expect God to move. May God moving in our midst be our expectation and, and not the exception. And so as we think about Pentecost, which is exactly what we're doing over the next few weeks, uh, and we're, we're going to continue to unpack the, the difference that the Holy Spirit makes in our life, and we're doing so through the book of John. And, and, and what, um, what we read in the book of John is a view of the Holy Spirit that is, is, is nuanced. And, 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 and so on this Pentecost Sunday, where we normally would kind of live in Acts chapter 2, I want to take us to these texts in John that reveal the, the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. And so I want to take you back to John 14. Do you remember we were there last week? And this is the passage where Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled, trust in God, trust also in me. And, and, and then he promises the gift of the Holy Spirit. But in the, midst, in the midst of this promise of the Holy Spirit, he looks at his disciples. And just like he's looking at us today, and he says this, verse 12, very truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And in fact, will do greater works than these because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. Did you hear that? As a follower of Jesus, we're called to do the things Jesus did. In fact, in John 13, he washes his disciples' feet. He looks at his disciples and he says, do as I have done. But then he takes it to the next level here in John 14. He says, not only do the works that I have been doing, but he says, in fact, you will do greater things. You will do greater things than what I have been. How is that possible? How is it possible that the disciples who locked the door in fear of the Jewish leaders, how is it that they can do greater things than what Jesus has already done? And let's begin to understand how that's even possible. For starters, it's possible because Jesus is going away. Jesus is going to the Father. Jesus is continuing the story of God in which he goes back to the Father, and, 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 he, and, and, and the Holy Spirit comes and makes his presence manifest everywhere. Jesus was limited in time and space. There were just things he could not do. But because he goes away, he sends the Spirit, and now the Spirit is present everywhere. So it's possible because Jesus goes away, and it foreshadows this empowerment to greater things that we are going to be able to do through the power of the Spirit. The church is now 
with, through the Holy Spirit, empowered to do the things that Jesus did. Can you think about the things Jesus did? Jesus healed the sick. And he's saying, church, you're going to do that. Jesus raised the dead to new life. And Jesus says, church, you're going to do that. Jesus illuminated the scriptures and, and revealed things about God. And Jesus says to the church, that's what you're going to do. In fact, you're going to do even greater things than that. Who we're called to be today, the church continues the mission of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. So on this Pentecost Sunday, I want you to think about everything Jesus did. All the miracles, all the teachings, the special life that he lived, everything that you think is significant and you know is significant about the life of Christ. And I want you to understand that mission that Jesus was in is now continued through the church by the power of the Holy Spirit. Today we're talking about empowering presence. What does that look like today? I mean, Jesus healed people. Does the church heal people? Some of the some of the most significant acts of healing that, that I've been aware of that people have shared with me are physicians who trust in Jesus. They love the Lord. They believe in the power of prayer. They're trained in the healing arts. And they go into hospital rooms and they go with people who are facing dire circumstances. And by showing up, they are extending the hands and the feet of Jesus in those places. And I'm thankful for those doctors and I'm thankful for those nurses. That certainly happens here in a developed context, but, but I think about even at a grassroots level in developing countries, how the church was the first to go in and begin healthcare. In our lobby, you see all the different ways that we partner with the Church of the Nazarene in extending the mission of God around the world. And one of those ways is a healthcare facility in Papua New Guinea. In the highlands of Papua New Guinea, there is a hospital. It's, it's ran by the Church of the Nazarene. It's administered through the Church of the Nazarene. The government of Papua New Guinea has said, thank you for going to that area. Thank you for setting up that hospital. Thank you for being a healing presence. There's a lot of people who would be suffering if you weren't there. The church is healing people through the power of the Holy Spirit. I think about education. I think about how Jesus taught us things about God that we had never seen before. And a few weeks ago, we celebrated our Go Sunday. We talked about all the different ministries we're going to partner with this year. And you heard Carrie Honeycutt tell you about Bethesda School in Senegal. It's a, it's a, it's a population that's highly uh, it's concentrated highly with, with Muslims. And all these Muslim families are sending their kids to the Christian school in that town because it's the best place to get education in that town. And while they're sending them to that school to get education, to learn to read, to learn to write, that Bethesda School is also teaching them about Jesus. And so Jesus was a teacher, and now here's the church doing greater things than Jesus, teaching those that need to know basic skills and the story of God. I think about how the church resurrects. The church brings life to dead situations. Many of you are familiar with a ministry here in northwest Arkansas. It's called Canopy NWA. They help resettle refugees here and, and help us welcome these new neighbors into our area. And our friend Abwe, he's from the Democratic Republic of the Congo. He lived in a refugee camp, refugee camp for over 20 years. Imagine living in this, this, this place. You can't leave. You, you're confined there. You're basically surviving on UN assistance and other foreign aid that comes in. And, and all of a sudden, a group of people in northwest Arkansas decide to welcome you into their community. 
and your name is drawn, and you're able to lead this refugee camp in Uganda, and you're able to go to northwest Arkansas and begin a new life. And he was describing his journey from the refugee camp to northwest Arkansas, and he said, I was dead. My family was dead. There was no hope for us in that place. But since I've come to northwest Arkansas, it feels as if I have been resurrected. It feels as if I have been resurrected. Who's doing that? Who's welcoming Abwe to northwest Arkansas? It's the church. It's the church of Jesus Christ. And so we bring new life where the church goes because we're filled with the Spirit. Now, how many of you would say, man, I didn't know that's what I was signing up for. I mean, when I made a decision to follow Jesus, I mean, I was signing up for the forgiveness of my sins. I was signing up for heaven after I die because the alternative sounds really bad. That's what I was signing up for. How many of you say, I I don't know, man. This is like a bait and switch. Well, maybe it wasn't explained to you. Maybe it wasn't explained to you properly because this is not fine print. This is right there, that to follow Jesus means to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to continue the mission of Jesus through the power of the Spirit. You know, if if you want to be a Christian that's not on mission, that sounds a lot like I was in the restaurant the other day and I ordered a cup of coffee (laughs) and the server said to me, do you want regular or do you want decaf? Are you kidding me? Why is there even a thing called decaf? I mean, the only reason I drink coffee is for the caffeine. It's the one drug Nazarenes can have, okay? Like, why in the world? Why in the world would I have decaf coffee? Later on in the week, I was somewhere, and I asked for tea. Okay, in South Carolina, you just say tea. That means one thing. And she comes to me, and she said, now, did you want sweet or unsweet? Oh, my word. Why would you have tea without sugar? Are you kidding me? I know that happens someplace in the world, but, but here in God's country, we put sugar in our tea. Decaf coffee, unsweet tea. And, 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 and that, when you think about being a Christian and not being sent on mission, not living out the mission of God in our workplaces, in our homes, in the spheres of influence that we have, It just doesn't make sense. There's no such thing as a decaffeinated Christian. There's no such thing as an unsweet Christian. You all better be sweet. And there's no such thing as a demissional Christian. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are on mission with him. And that's exactly what happens in John chapter 20. Let's revisit that. When it was evening on that day, on the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where Jesus And the doors of the house where Jesus' disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, peace, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then his disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And then Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. And what was foretold in John 14, Jesus promises this. It's now fulfilled in John chapter 20. It's an event known as 
the Johannine Pentecost. You're familiar with the Acts 2 Pentecost. It's the more common story that we tell on this day. But I want to take us to the Johannine Pentecost. This is John's way of understanding this giving of the Holy Spirit. In Luke, it's, it's, it's more literal and it's more historical. But what John tells us in this encounter with Jesus and his disciples, he fills this encounter with symbolism. And he helps us understand all the different things theologically that are going on there as Jesus breathes on the disciples and gives to them the Holy Spirit. One of the things that John is very, very careful to remind you of, the resurrected Christ continues to bear the scars of the cross. Even after he's been raised to new life, he's been filled with resurrection power, he continues to bear the scars. There are nail prints in his, in his hands, and there's a scar in his side where the sword pierced his lungs. And, and I, I think this detail is there, and it's very intentional uh, to remind us that, that we all have scars, that we all have a past. I, I was, uh, you know, we're celebrating and we're sending Pastor Diane on to her sabbatical today, but I was thinking about my own sabbatical, and, and, and it was 2019, and let me just say I'm ready for another one. Um, but it's 2019, and it was an amazing time. And, and I, took, we, I was able to take my family on a trip to Europe, and of course in France we had to visit the Louvre. And there were so many things I wanted to see in the Louvre. I can't believe I only had a day there. And uh, I, I, I saw just a fraction of what I wanted to see. But I wasn't looking for this painting, but this painting caught my eye, and I want to share it with you. And this was found over the altar of a church in France. And uh, not a lot is known about the artist, but it was retrieved from this church. And, and it's a very interesting painting. There's, there's a lot there that, that we can unpack. Um, but what I want you to see is Jesus is standing in a casket. And so it is, of course, they didn't have caskets in the first century, but the artist is taking elements of his day, you know, medieval, 1600s, he's taking elements of his day and putting Jesus in that position. And so there's a casket. That's how the dead are buried. And here's Jesus coming out of this casket, still bearing the scars of crucifixion. And then over his right shoulder is this image of the Father and then you see the Father and the Son, they're both breathing out the Holy Spirit. And, and, and I, I had to move on in, in my journey through the Louvre, but I, I just was drawn to this painting. It, it, just, it, it just captured so many different elements of, of John chapter 20 and, and what's going on there. But you see the dove coming from the Father and the Spirit and, and I love that the painter puts this moment, puts this moment in his day. And what he was saying is that in our day, the Spirit continues to be breathed out. The Spirit continues to be breathed out upon his people. Whatever dead situation that you are in, Jesus comes and he stands among us and he breathes on us the Holy Spirit. And make no mistake about it, this this breath that is breathed upon us, it is through crucified lungs. It is through lungs that bear the scars of crucifixion 
And those scars are redeemed by the resurrection and, then, and that they are, are mediated to us through the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I want you to hear this good news of what happens there in, in John 20, that Jesus is standing among us today and he's breathing out his Holy Spirit on us today. And what scars do you have? What scars do you have? We are a sent people. As the Father sent Jesus, so we are sent. And we are empowered by the Spirit to announce certain things. And one of the things we're saying, as we, as we experience the Holy Spirit through crucified lungs and through crucified arms, that our past is redeemed. The scars that represent our past, the mistakes that we've made, the things that we're not proud of, all of that is redeemed by Jesus and through the Holy Spirit, we can go to our world and we can stand in the midst of people who've made mistakes, they've made messes of their life, and we can say to them, you know what, this is bad, but your past is redeemed. This can be atoned for. There's hope on the other side of this. I've experienced it myself. So we proclaim certain things and we want to let the world know that your past is redeemed. Did you, did you catch what Jesus said twice? He said, peace be upon you. He is announcing peace. He's announcing shalom. And this is what I, I want to make sure we proclaim to our world. As a sent people, we're here to announce that your brokenness is now made whole. Yeah, we all have a past, and we're living with the mistakes of that past. We're living with the fallout from that, and our lives are broken, and they're shattered. But in Christ... In Christ, they're made whole. Peace, shalom, wholeness can characterize our lives through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And then the final thing I, I, I want to point out that, that we are called to proclaim to our world is, is did, you, did you see where this, this image? And that's why I showed you the painting because the, the artist captures it of this breath going out from God. This breath goes out from God that represents the Holy Spirit. And what John is doing here is, as Jesus breathes on them, he's taking us back to Genesis chapter 1. Do you remember the creation account? The, the earth is formless and it's void and there's nothingness and there's chaos. And then God shows up and God begins to bring order out of the chaos. And he begins to bring life upon the earth. And the text tells us that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. This same Spirit that was present at creation, the same Spirit that separates light from darkness, the same Spirit that allows vegetation to come upon the earth, the same Spirit that fills the sea with fish and fills the sky with birds and fills the land with animals and creates man in his own image, this same Spirit is available today through the Holy Spirit. And he is going about the work of bringing new life out of that which is old. A sent people, that's us. We're empowered by the Spirit to announce to the world that your new life begins today. The Spirit of creation that wants to recreate our lives in the image of God, it begins It's today. And too often our message has been, hey, hear the good news Hear the good news, when you die, you get to go to heaven. Isn't that great? It is awesome. And we should never take that for granted. In fact, I'm going to stand at a graveside today, and we are going to proclaim this audacious hope that we have over a loved one that we've lost. 
We're going to proclaim that as the people of God. That heaven is our home. That resurrection power is available to us. That the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is going to raise this sister up from the dead at the last day. That's good news. But the full gospel is this. Is that the spirit of creation is present today and is recreating our lives even now. And that our new life doesn't begin when we die, friends. Our new life begins the moment we put our hope and our trust in Jesus and we surrender our life to the power and the direction and the guidance of his Holy Spirit. Friend, God can make more out of your life through his Holy Spirit than you could ever do on your own. And so will we Will we, on this Pentecost Sunday, will we surrender our life to the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit? The worship team is going to come, and they're going to lead us in a song as we close today. And and that is the question I want you to wrestle with. Am, Am I prepared to surrender my life to the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit? Do I truly believe that what God did on Pentecost, in filling Peter with his spirit, and in filling those early disciples, and empowering those people who used to be afraid to now go out in power and encourage, do I really expect God to do that in my life? Do I really think he could? And what is it that he wants me to do? Who is it he wants me to talk to? What difference does he want me to make in my workplace, in my community, in my home, You see, the Spirit makes all the difference. The Spirit empowers us to do that which we could not do on our own.